You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Welcome to City Church. We're so glad you're here. Hello, everyone on Zoom. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we are a radically welcoming community on the journey toward Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And uh, I think that's it for me. Ming is going to come and pray for our kiddos. And uh, yeah, so glad we're all here together and together on Zoom. Good morning. So um, I'm just going to pray for our kids. God, um, we thank you that we get to be part of all the kids' journey as they um, seek you and as they learn that you fully know them and fully accept them. Um, I pray for them this morning that um, that in whatever they're doing, whether it's in the Sunday school room or on the playground, that they would deeply feel your love and kindness and acceptance of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So kiddos, with that awesome prayer, you are welcome if you would like to. And if your parents, your, your caregivers are good with it, if you want to head out for story time and playground, we would love to invite you to do that. Bye, guys. Bye, kiddo. <laughs> um, hi. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet here in person or on Zoom, my name is Brenna Rubio. I'm one of the co-pastors here. And today, my co-preacher um, is this incredible person I've, I've had the privilege to be partners with for over 20 years now, my husband, Israel. If you could welcome morning. him How's this going? morning. Um, Israel often likes to refer to himself as a little joke, as like the pastor's wife. Um, and he is actually a super good one. Like he likes to feed people. He volunteers in the nursery and everything. Um, I don't play the organ though. <laughs> yeah. And we don't think the trombone would really yeah, work, work so well yeah. on the worship band. Um, but other than that, an amazing pastor's wife. Uh, but uh, Israel, his actual day job is that he is an administrator and assistant principal at a high school in Anaheim. Um, but once a year or so, he is really gracious. And I think I figured out like a time in the school year when I can ask and Israel is most likely to say yes. Um, he agrees to come co-preach with me. Uh, and that is always so fun. So it's thanks. It's like the McRib. I, you don't want more than <laughs> once like a year. A yeah, season. you don't want it all too much. It, too much is not a great thing. So. But I am really glad. I always think it's really fun uh, to be able to co-preach with Israel. Um, and today, this is actually going to be the last message in a little series that we've been doing all about power, where we've really been thinking about what, is it, what does it mean that we live in a world that frankly has as many problems as we see, and yet we have a powerful God. How do we think about that? How do we think about um, everything from racism to sickness to poverty in light of a powerful God? How do we really think about that? And so today we're going to shift it just a little bit. Um, I actually think power conversations are super, super interesting. Um, I mean, it's just all around us. Power dynamics are all around us. And so the conversation today is thinking, okay, given how God holds power, how God uses power in interacting with the world, how are we supposed to use power? For some of us, power is kind of a bad word. Like whenever you think of power, you think of abuses of power. You think of power gone wrong. But is there a way we can, we can look at God, we can see how Jesus used power in the world, and maybe get a different 
uh, understanding a different perspective on what it would look like uh, to lean into power in ways that are actually loving and good and helpful. Uh, and so this is the type of message I love having Israel here for because I just think, um, yeah, the work that he does uh, in so many ways, like power dynamics uh, are, are all over that. So it's going to be fun to get to hear his stories. But before we do that, we want to hear the actual story of scripture. And so would you guys welcome our new friend, Yvonne Printers, up with me? Because she's going to read scripture this morning. Yay. And would you all be willing to stand this morning in honor of the reading of scripture? There you go, Yvonne. Good morning. Good morning. Where's my phone's acting up right now? <laughs> you can also turn to read from here if that's easier. Okay, I think that will be. Okay. Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from, the, from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rules of the Gentiles lorded, excuse me, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you to God. Go ahead and have be seated. Be Yvonne, seated. thank you so much. Thank you. Yvonne. I really like that we're closing out this conversation about power uh, looking at Jesus. And I think a lot of times in maybe some of the churches you grew up with, when we talk about how to use power and how power is used, it's very many times used in like a political context or in a, a context of like a corporation organization. We talk about leadership. Many people want to look at the Hebrew Bible and look at many, all the different leaders who just happen to be men. And um, they often, not, not only men, but there's many times a military aspect to it. And I think um, if you grew up in a church, you keep hearing a lot of the stories like this is what a leader is. Unfortunately, it's not very Jesus-y. And uh, even though those are great stories in the Hebrew Bible and there's great ways that we can look at leadership and look at and learn from mistakes of many people and successes, um, when we want to look at power and how it's used, I think Jesus is like our North Star. This is really the person that we want to look at. So I'm really excited that we get to lean in on this one um, and, uh, and see, see what's going on here. So what's going on? We have the sons of Zebedee. These are James and John. These uh, are fishermen. They are some kind of fishing commune family that is uh, in Galilee, uh, Jesus' home area, and they're with Peter, who's also a fisherman, and they kind of have like this like cooperative family business thing. They have hired hands, and so, you know, probably the middle class, not super wealthy, um, but, you know, working, working class type guys. Uh, and then they have mom. Mom's name, we find out later, is named Salome. 
And Ms. Salome is part of just this entourage of uh, women and uh, other people that are following Jesus around uh, in Galilee as he's going throughout his ministry. So we have the 12 disciples, we have this uh, entourage of people that are just kind of helping manage and make it all work out. Uh, and mom is, is kind of there. She goes all the way even until the very end when uh, Jesus is at the cross. She's part of this group. So this is someone who's very committed to Jesus's mission. All right. I like that we're giving her a name this morning. She's getting right? a name. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but th at the same time, this is like a human organization on earth. So guess what? There's just going to be some very natural ambition, and there's going to be some power plays, and this is just part of being human beings, whether you're in a family, whether you work at a business, whether you work at a school, whatever your context, um, these kind of dynamics are naturally going to start happening. And even though Peter is like in business with James and John, he is not part of Salome's request to Jesus. She doesn't say, you know, my son on my left and my other son at your right and maybe Peter in the area. She, he's, he's out, he's out. And, and so we, we start seeing, oh, business is great, but this is now family. And Salome's, Salome's kind of making this, uh, this request. Well, where is it coming from? And we want to kind of dig a little deeper. So when we're looking at what's, what's really going on here, it helps to look, go back a few chapters. So this is Matthew 20. Uh, if we go back a few chapters to Matthew 17, there's something that happens called the transfiguration. And what the transfiguration basically is, is that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they kind of form this inner circle that Jesus gets to hang out with. Uh, he actually chooses to hang out with just these three guys more often than the rest of the 12. Um, maybe Jesus just only had energy for three friends to hang out with. Who knows, right? But he, these are the three friends that he's like, I need a break, let's go talk, hang out, whatever. Um, but this one time that Jesus brings them to this space, he actually like transforms into a very supernatural being. And if you read Matthew 17, at some point, he literally starts glowing in the dark. Jesus glows <laughs> in the dark. And uh, that's the best as I can describe it. And as best as I imagine it when I first read it as a kid. Uh, Jesus <laughs> glows in the dark. You and it, have like some comic book things. Yeah, I just had some kind of image of a comic yeah. And then um, these two prophets, Moses and Elijah, show up and they hanging out, talking, they're glowing in the dark too. And it's, and James, Peter, and John are just sitting there like completely dumbfounded because yes, Jesus has been healing people and doing these miracles, but this is like a next level. Like Jesus just mm -hmm. dialed it to 11 with the glowing in the dark. And it's, it's amazing. So, <laughs> so guess what happens? He's been talking about a kingdom of God this whole time. And now he glows in the dark and James and John and Peter are like, oh my gosh, this is legit. Like this is gonna, it's gonna happen. Something's going to go down with, with our friend here. And in the subsequent chapters, 18, 19, and 20, you start seeing a new conversation taking place. Uh, people grumbling, hey, who's going to be first in the kingdom? Well, who's going to be who's going to be in charge? And we have conversations. Jesus actually addresses this head on in these subsequent three chapters of if you want to be the most important person, you're going to have to be the last. If you want to be special in skin, you have to be like a child. And then again, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. Jesus is addressing kind of the fallout of the transfiguration and the disciples' response to it in these next three chapters. It's accumulating in a mom who probably heard the news, hey, Jesus, close in the dark. You know, like she probably heard something about what was going on, and now it's her first instinct to race and get her sons to the front of the line. And, um, hey, you, parents, if you knew you could have your kid get first in line into a college acceptance university, would you not, right? Right. Would you not? Let's be honest, right? You would, you would do anything for your kids to make sure they had, you know, 
some kind of help to make sure they can be successful in life. And uh, I don't think we really want to blame Salome in this. This is a very natural thing for a parent mm -hmm. to want to do for their child. Um, the question is, are they really understanding the nature of God's kingdom and what Jesus has been telling them up until chapter 20 of what his kingdom is like? Uh, and it seems like they, don't, they haven't gotten it. And if we look at our lives, whether it's with our families, whether it's at work or church, are we, are we getting in? Are we having to re realign ourselves to be more Jesus-y in how we approach power? Yeah, because we don't, right? I mean, so, so often we just don't. Um, I was telling Israel this, this whole passage reminded me a bit of a year or two ago, the little staff team here at City Church, we were doing a little study um, by this amazing scripture teacher, public theologian, uh, her name is Lisa Sharon Harper. Uh, and, and the course, this little video course we were taking together was called um, Decolonizing the Bible. Uh, and some of you might be familiar with that term decolonizing, others it might be a little weird. Um, but it's like, think about the kind of mindset that you have to have, um, to have a colonial impulse, as so many people did you know, a few centuries ago and in perpetuity. Um, a colonial mindset, a colonizing mindset that would say like, yeah, God totally wants me to go conquer that land and subjugate that people. Clearly that's a Jesus-y thing to do, right? Like there's a particular way of reading the scripture for you to, to have that mindset, right? And so to decolonize our scripture reading is to say like, how do we reject that? <laughs> like, how do we see it and pull back and say, like, how do we see the Jesus of Scripture who is not about us going out and colonizing and subjugating and using violence and oppression? But what really struck me in this course, which is wonderful in all sorts of ways, but I, I noticed at the end, I was like, there's really one big difference that Lisa Sharon Harper is suggesting and how we read scripture versus the way that I was sort of trained growing up and even in seminary. Um, and it was one particular question, which was the power question. But she said, a colonizing view of scripture never asks about power. You don't wanna see the power dynamics at work. Because the, if you see what Jesus is doing, if you see the way that he flips the power structures constantly, it's gonna challenge that whole oppressive subjugating type way of being in the world, right? And so we have to ask the power question. Now what's awesome about this particular passage <laughs> is it's kind of easy, right? I mean, you actually have to work pretty hard not to see the power question in this passage, right? I mean, it's, it's all about like these two guys are coming and saying, Jesus, can we have power? You apparently have a lot. Give us some. Give us more than the other guy, right? Make us special. And how is Jesus going to respond to that? So I want to draw a little picture. Let me move this real quick. So maybe folks on Zoom can see it too. Did I You're good. You're good. hurt anything? No. All right. Um, so when we think about the normal power structures, right? It's usually a triangle that looks kind of like this. It's a hierarchy. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's more of a hierarchy where somebody is here at top, right? And their power pushes down on the people below them. So that the actual scripture um, 
says that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, when he sits them down, because, you know, there's some, there's some anger that is starting to brew as the other 10 realize that this two, these two are trying to sort of make a power grab. Um, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and exercise authority. But we're going to focus on that first part because exercising authority, like that's actually kind of a, I, I feel like that's a little bit more, it's a neutral it's more of a neutral description of what somebody up here might do. But he says, but they lord it over them. And the verb really is a very descriptive, positional verb. You're up here and you're pressing down. You're pushing down. You're overpowering the people. That's what the, the rulers of the Gentiles do. And you can see that there's kind of this veiled or not so veiled critique because he's saying that's their way. The oppressors, the Gentiles, that's what they do. Why are you trying to align yourself with their system? It reminded me of one of the most well-known quotes by Audre Lorde, right? Where she says, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. You know that I'm here to do something different and yet you expect me to, to build a kingdom that looks like this, that is still about subjugating people, that is still about pressing them down? Don't you know me better than that? Uh, Brene Brown, who, uh, she has this incredible, I'm gonna let you guys Google it. You can Google Brene Brown, I think it's leadership and power. Um, but she has this way of describing um, this kind of system, a hierarchical system that I really like because it's kind of, a, it's a posture, right? It's a power that's over and against. And so there are certain dynamics that whenever you see, and this, guys, this is, this is school systems, this is your families, this is your friend groups, this is like everywhere. It's our political system where a power over and against system, a hierarchical system is using kind of a, it has a scarcity mindset. There's not enough to go around, right? Some of us, that's why Salome has to push to the front of the line, right? Because if she just hangs in the back, there might not be anything left for her and her sons. So she's got to push to the front. There's not enough. So there's scarcity mindset. There's hoarding. And we're going to use things like fear and shame to try and, to try and get there. Um, it reminds me actually of when we talked last week uh, about poverty uh, and our friends at the Poor People's Campaign saying, hey, people who are at the top are trying to put all these different groups of people who are experiencing poverty, you know, the immigrants versus those who are white and poor, those versus those who are LGBTQ and poor, right? Trying to divide them because that's a tactic that they can use to to exert that power and, and to keep the many, many people <laughs> down here from working together and pushing back, having healthy boundaries. Um, and there's a sense that being right is more important than getting it right relationally. Because there's the sense that even information can be power if you're up there at top. And, and so Jesus is looking at his friends and he's saying, why, why do you want to do it? the way that the Gentiles do. We can do it differently. Now, this is the system of the world. And so whenever we enter into these kinds of conversations, I think we have to admit like, however pure our impulses, 
however much we want to follow Jesus, like this is the system that we've all sort of been slotted a spot, right? This is a system that we're pressing back against if we want to follow Jesus in flipping the power structures. And it's not always as simple as just, you know, the haves and the haves not, have nots, the powerful and the powerless. For many of us, it's actually, it's kind of complicated. Like on, on the one hand, I might say, hey, in some circumstances, like for instance, if I'm in a group of ministers, a lot of times, like the fact that I'm, I'm female pushes me a little farther down in the hierarchy, right? I've got some, some things that I'm pressing up against. But in lots of other circumstances, I'm a white woman, right? With some education and, and some other, other things that have given me some unearned privilege in my life. And so I have to admit in those situations, I lean more towards the powerful. And how am I gonna, how am I gonna follow Jesus in flipping the margin, uh, in, in flipping the dynamics when I acknowledge that? Um, I don't know, so then Israel and I were talking last night and I'm like, hey Israel, it seems to me like your power dynamics are pretty complicated too. On the one hand, you're a child of immigrants, you're a brown-skinned man, you are a man, pretty educated, and now you have this position of relative power in a certain system, and it's complicated, right? It is, and um, I was thinking about what recently have I kind of run into that expectation of power and how it's used, and um, this came to mind. I have a really great principal. He's an amazing guy. He was a good friend of mine before he became my boss, and uh, it's actually been really great. I, I really appreciated working for him. Uh, he had this really great idea right around the holidays is that all the teachers and staff on, during one of our staff meetings would get a paper plate. We'd put our name on it and put a yarn through the paper plate, and then we would hang it on the back of our necks. And what would happen is we would go around the room, and everyone writes like nice things about you. And it was so great. It was such, and I would say, like, and I think people would agree with me, like, they would probably feel it's like one of the greatest, like, uh, staff meetings I've ever been to. Because all you're doing is you're getting messages, and you can't see who's writing it as either, and that's really cool because they're mostly anonymous. Um, but then you get the chance to kind of tell people how special, how often do we get the chance to do that, right? It is great. If you ever work at a school, do that. It's going to be great. Um, and it's almost like your yearbook, right? You just can't wait to read all the messages as soon as people are done. And so as soon as like everyone's done, the timer's off, I'm like, let me start reading it. And then I see it. And, oh, there it is. Look, great. Um, and then I see all the nice things. And yes, yes, yes. Nice, nice, nice. That's great. I love it. Yeah, sure. Um, I lock eyes on one of them, and, uh, and this is what the person wrote. You frighten the kids who need it the most. <laughs> Say that one more time. You frighten the kids that need it most. And I don't think there's a word in English language, and maybe in another language it exists, where you're simultaneously proud and you're simultaneously ashamed at the same time. <laughs> And I could say, like, this is one of the very few moments in my life where I'm simultaneously like, hey, hey. oh, man, like, <laughs> like, simultaneously, this is really, really hard for me to kind of take in. And I'm going to unpack a little bit about why. And what is this teacher saying? I don't know who it is or staff member. I, I, to this day, I don't really even want to know who it is. But I, this person <laughs> said it. It meant a lot to them. What are they saying? They're saying, you lord your power over children. <laughs> And I love that about you, Mr. Rubio. Israel, you lord it. Now, why? And you can 
look at the reasons why, you know, part of the job in my administrative team is I have to make sure there's a safe and secure campus for everybody. That's a big deal these days. I'm sure for parents, that's a big deal. And for the staff members that, that come to work and trust us to kind of ensure there's a safe campus. But there's a couple ways of getting to that. The forceful discipline, law and order, we're going to punish, right? That very strict lording over people for some kind of sense of security and some kind of illusion that you're safe because you are giving power, you're having these people at the top lord power over teenagers, right? Or are we building a culture of care and kindness and, and positivity that can also create safety? Which direction are we coming at that question? And for the person that put that, that comment, it's pretty obvious which direction and, and what their mindset is of how safety and security is going to happen on their campus. And over the years, ever since I began this job over nine years ago, from when I was a teacher and then I became an administrator, part of my growth is really having to look at it from the other direction, how to provide that culture instead, right? And um, yes, teenagers are struggling. And yes, there's, there's things that we have to make sure we're mindful and how we serve people and make sure they're safe. But the reality is I don't want to frighten kids who need it the most, who need it the most. Because what's that teacher saying? There are kids in our school, and I'll give you just a little background. Our school is 1,700 students in high school. Uh, the majority, over 70%, are free and reduced lunch. They're at the poverty level for free and reduced lunch. And they come, majority of them, from two very difficult neighborhoods that are ravaged by, gun, uh, by gang violence and, and poverty. And this teacher, or this staff member, is saying, they need those students that come from those neighborhoods where I've been to and I've done home visits, I've, I've seen what those neighborhoods are like. Those students have to go there every single day to go back home. But somehow I cause fear, he or she thinks that I cause fear in those students. And that's what they need, that those students from these very difficult neighborhoods need fear from me. Not kindness, compassion, dignity, and respect. They need fear. And that's something that I've really had a struggle unpacking ever since I read that, that quote on the plate. And, um, and yeah, you know, sometimes I, I need to do my thing and kind of get in people's faces and make sure that they are showing, you know, respect. And, and other times I have to check myself in other ways of addressing certain behaviors, right? Um, it, it's tricky and it's not easy. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's what I have to keep thinking about is what's going to be the most effective in flipping the structure that we've talked about and ensuring that uh, there's that dignity piece for, for my students. Um, because, and here's the truth, when we have this system where people are pushing down and people keep pushing down, many times people want to push back up. And, and I've seen that too. Do we have that slide of what the response is? When, <laughs> yeah, because then we get that. <laughs> See, it's not necessarily that the students are frightened. It's that they're getting bullied into some kind of veneer of peace and order and submission. And that does nothing for their growth and their development as adults and citizens in our society. There may be some simmering anger. There might be just a little bit of anger, right? <laughs> and that one was from like, I think like five or six years ago. I've got more recent ones that have a variety <laughs> of other expletives um, that, are, that are not great. But, but that's something I think this person who, who was trying to compliment me and trying to say something nice doesn't realize is that 
when we're using it and lording over it, at, at some point people are going to be fed up and they're not going to really have a lot of enjoyment for how they're being treated. It's so interesting, right? Because you can take it in so many different directions and go, yeah, we see it, right? Like we could make it much bigger. We could think societally, right? Like not just one school, but let's think about police systems, right? And an emphasis on law and order. Like what do we need from up here to make a neighborhood safe? But what do we need from down here, right? What do we need that would actually build that culture of care that Israel was talking about, building a positive good instead of pushing down in a way that may actually cause a lot of damage, may actually play into some cycles of violence that are already there. We could make it smaller. And I'm, I'm sharing this thought with a lot of fear and trembling. Um, we have all been kids at some point, and now we have like the, I mean, it's really scary sometimes, we have them of our own. When do we parent like this? Because <laughs> we're tired, man. And we start yelling. We start shaming or we move to like just. Threaten to take away their toys. Threaten to take away their toys. Yeah, right? Versus some other response that would be honoring, that would be building our family culture, that would be a discipline that is teaching as opposed to punishment. That's formation as opposed to just fit in my convenient little box because I don't have that much time and energy. This is just as much of a confession as it is a conversation because yeah. by no means, right? I mean, people, by no means are we anywhere close to where we would like to be. Ideally. We're, we're preaching to ourselves right now. There are the times we get it right and oh man, right? But that we want to remember actually that there is another way and you, you see that Jesus is actually saying that because again, the master's tools will never demolish the master's house. So, so often people want to like, oh, and Jesus is saying he's being a servant. He's still up here, right? He's just being a nicer version. Like a, a pastor friend calls it being a benevolent dictator, that that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I came to serve. No, he's saying, I came to flip the triangle. I came to flip the whole system upside down. My power flows up. It supports people. It empowers them. It transforms them. That's what Brene Brown would say. It's power that's for and with, right? It's based on mutuality and the sense that we're in this together. Jesus is not just trying to set up a benevolent dictatorship. He's actually trying to build an alternative kingdom. As the Muharista theologians often describe it, a kingdom a collective where we're in this together. We're for each other. I listen to you because my wellness and my well-being is tied up in yours. We're a team. We're a family. It's a completely different set of assumptions that you bring into it because here, power is not a limited resource. It multiplies. The more you give it away, the more you have, the more we all have. And it's not based on, on fear, it's based on empathy and acceptance. Maybe that's even why Jesus calls the 12 together when he realizes there's a problem, right? Because he's like, we gotta talk about this. We're not just gonna stay in our little silos and grumble. We're together, we're a team. Let's talk about it. Let's see if we can figure it out and come together. 
Because our relationship, getting it right, actually how we're loving each other, that's so much more important than just being right. It's a completely different picture, right? Of how power is flowing and how Jesus is using it. I've come to serve. I've come to give myself away, to sacrifice. So we see now, right, why, why he's talking to them earlier and saying, I don't think you know what you're asking. You think you're going to come be up at the top with me, right? You're going to get to be benevolent dictators too. But really, if you want to be with me, you want to be on my left and my right, you're going to be doing some hard work. I don't know that it always means, I mean, for Jesus, he's actually thinking about his death, right? He knows that that is ahead of him. That is what that is the place that love is going to take him. I don't know that he's necessarily saying all of us are going to hit that point of sacrifice, but it is going to be sacrifice. We're going to have to shift everything to follow Jesus into this way of being. So Israel has some other stories just to kind of, what does this actually look like practically? Yeah. On a school site, here's how it it might possibly look like. We um, have this new, started last year initiative where students have what's called like a student summit. And what that basically means is a group of student leaders are trained in leading conversations. And then for uh, part of the day, they go into classrooms and they go in all the classrooms and they basically lead focus groups with their peers. And it's all kind of student led and managed and they lead ask some, ask some questions, they listen from other students. When I first heard about this, that we're going to be taking, you know, one period out of the day to make sure that students have this space in their classrooms to be, you know, listening, I said, really, let's be real. And I, you know, I said to the group, I said, let's be real. They're going to ask for uh, changing in the lunch menu, and they're going to ask for longer, you know, passing periods so they can hang out more with their friends. Like, <laughs> these are teenagers. Like, this is not like rocket science. This is what exactly going to be ranking number one and number two, guarantee. Why do we want to bother? doing this but um but it's important to really want to listen to them so i'm like okay it's fine <laughs> little skepticism little skeptical um but when it's happening at the end of the day we get uh, all the feedback it's collected by the students that led, led the different focus groups and we learned some pretty amazing things about what the students actually wanted to see they wanted a change in the lunch menu and they wanted longer <laughs> passing but after that, those one and two, we actually looked at the rest. There's actually a longer list up to number 20. And to read some of the things that they that really mattered to them, students were asking for uh, a quicker turnaround on restocking menstrual supplies in the, uh, in the restrooms. Obviously, I had never considered that as being an issue. <laughs> really? Really. That hadn't occurred to you? I'd never once okay. thought that that might be a problem. problem. And so, but that's an easy fix. We can just worked with our custodial teams and making sure that they were getting checked more regularly in the bathrooms so that uh, students had greater access to those supplies. And that was great. That's students speaking up, something that leadership had not considered. It's flowing from the bottom up so that now we can provide something. We can actually, instead of lording over it, we're actually now exercising authority. And that's what the actual exercising authority is, that we can actually provide something for those students that flows upward and is a benefit mm -hmm. for them. Another thing that people were asking was, hey, we'd like more shade, shade in, the, uh, in the quad area. Uh, not the metaphorical shade, like actual literal shade, because sometimes it gets hot and we have some shade structures in the area, but obviously not enough for the students that they really wanted just some space to sit and, and be. I'm like, wow, that would actually 
be something we can actually look into and discuss with the maintenance facilities and see what we can add for, for greater amounts of shade. To show students that, hey, speaking up actually can, can lead to something. It's not going to give you everything you want, but that there's some responsiveness to the leadership. And that's really all that many of us want in our lives, is to be able to ask, is to, you know, regress of, uh, I mean, redress of grievances and be able to speak up on what we want and actually see some change. And uh, it's, been, it's been a really great thing. We're having another one in a couple of weeks. I'm excited to see what's next, you know, that we had some areas that we didn't realize needed needed fixing, ways that we can exercise authority for our students, not to them, but with them and for them. Um, yeah. I mean, I just love, I mean, talk about making it practical. Like to me, when you think like, okay, so what would I actually have to do if I wanted to live a little bit more like Jesus? Like what would being a servant look like in my life? And I mean, just the idea that, could you listen to people more? That feels just like bedrock practical to me like is there a relationship in your life at work family or friends where we couldn't start to listen more right to say like, i'm going to take you seriously and listen to your perspective and think about how i might support you how i might value you um you know and kind of like israel right it's not it's not to give over your own perspective on things that he was reading through the comments going yep yep here are the ones i expected you know and we can't actually i don't have that much control over the lunch menu um but hey look here's one where i can and if i if i listen as that first step now i'm actually in a, a position and a posture to care and support um so i was trying to think about a good example in family life, you know, that didn't throw my kids under the bus um, or, you know, disrespect their privacy. Um, so I was thinking for Israel and I, where some of the listening, uh, where I feel like we've had the most growth, like in recent years, after the initial years of marriage, where most of our fighting was around the dishes. I'm happy to say we got over that. Um, we've moved past the dishes fighting. Um, but then we had children and the fighting became about the calendar. It became about scheduling more often. Right? And, and as I was thinking about it this week, that those particular fights were very much from that kind of hierarchical kind of mentality, right? Because there was a scarcity of time and energy and babysitters for us each to do all the things that we wanted to do throughout the week in terms of our jobs and our children and our friends and all those other activities, right? So, so we were living in this place of scarcity and maybe a little bit in a place of distrust sometimes like do you respect my needs do you respect my job right like i i need this thing on the calendar and so we weren't always working from a collaborative how can we serve each other kind of space um, in our marriage um and so i was thinking one of the things i mean it's such a simple little tool but it's become one of our sort of this is how we listen to each other it started off with electronic calendars right just a little communication tool for like and a few little respectful rules like hey you have to get your thing on the calendar um or it doesn't count right i mean if you want to be considered <laughs> your request is going to be considered it has to go on the mutual the mutually shared calendar um because it just it helped us talk to each other and listen and care and be able to kind of see and communicate because that's where it starts right and now with our kids 
the fact that we've, we've had to switch and it's actually made life much more complicated, but they matter, they're worth it. And so now we not only have our electronic calendars, but we had to put a big wall calendar up so that our kids know that they can put their calendar requests up because we're a team. That's what we're telling them, right? So if we can all see that the same square in the calendar has five different requests on it, which happens, um, now as a team, we can figure out, you know, and, and we're working for each other. There's trust, right? And the key is that the calendar is low enough <laughs> that the least of these can read it too and can actually, you know, the seven-year-old can actually add or keep track of other things in their very busy calendars as well. So yeah. there's an equity piece sometimes that we have it, to think about. Yeah, sometimes it gets a little funny and I find that my calendar, like some seven-year-old has decided they, they had an experience with sour milk and so then now they needed to put the expiration date of the current gallon of milk on the calendar for me. <laughs> But hey, that mattered to them. So I guess the communication tool yeah. worked. Um, it's funny, right? It's little, but these are actually the questions. Like these are the, there's, there's the big broad questions where you say, yes, I see this working out in life. This is the way the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. But are we imitating them? Do we think that's what it means? to use power. That's what it means to lead, whether it's you know leading in our families, leading in a work team, wherever it is, leading in a church. Or can we do it this way? Can we work on it? Can we say, man, leadership really means my job, the power that I have, and you all have it. We all have it. The power that I have, my energy, my talents, my gifts, my simple ability to listen, is for not just myself, but for others. It's for this community and what we can build together. And so I can use my energy, my gifts, my talents, my ability to listen as a way to love and to build a community of care and mutuality. Our friend Rebecca Martinek Williams is going to come up and pray for us as we end today. <laughs> 